Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I knew he was being tested, but I knew I had to let him become a man. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. From New Orleans, Louisiana, weighing in at 238 pounds, this is Luke Hawks. You better have all your friends, all your family, and any kind of weapon you can find, because I'm gonna beat your ass so bad you might not ever leave your house again. If you're bad, I'm worse. Luke Hawks, how are you doing? I'm good. Like I said, I've been rushing, you know, trying to get here in time. And some being a little professional, unprofessional and trying to squeeze a meal in while I talk to you. But I'm almost done with it. And uh, I'm a fat boy. I eat kind of fast. So well, you say I, you I'll, say I'll... that, but you were telling me before we started, like that's your first meal since like yesterday afternoon. Like you've been yeah, yeah. a wildly yeah, busy guy. It's just been it's just been nonstop. I've just been so busy with everything. And, uh, you know, it's not even just work. It's it's, it's life. So mm-hmm. I got my work. I got my film. I got my wrestling, uh, obviously fitness. But then you got Wildcat Sports on top of it. I got kids. You know, I got a girlfriend. So it, it, it's like I have all these responsibilities that everybody else has. And then I'm always gone. Like I haven't been I've been gone from my house for 10 months. So out of Louisiana filming heels, which we've talked about, Um and then I got home and I was home for a couple of weeks and then I had to shoot off to LA for a week. And then I got a call for black Adam and I had to shoot back out to Atlanta for a week and do that. And I just got home the other day. So I haven't really even been home in the last year. So this is, I'm not even home right now. I'm actually at a friend's house because I'm having construction done to my house, but it's going to take about two months to do. So I'm staying with a friend of mine while the construction is being done on the house. You so. genuinely are one of the, the busiest men in the industry. It feels like. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. And it's just, it, it's and I'm not complaining about it. It's just it's a lot to juggle and, and mm. it's a lot of responsibility and it's from all ends. It's not like one thing. You know, I don't have one company I just stay with and I, that's my job. I'm just bouncing from location to location at all times. So it's 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 not it's not um, an easy lifestyle, but it's also 
a rewarding lifestyle and it's, you know, a dream that I've always wanted to do. So, you know, I'm at the point now to all my hard work, still working hard, but all my hard work got me to this point. So like, you can't take your foot off the gas. You got to keep pushing forward and try and get, you know, my goals would be even busier than what I am now. Well, we appreciate you taking time uh, to have a chat with us with, with all that's going on. And whilst you're with us, we're going to pick three wrestling matches that you can watch while you're stranded on a desert island. We're going to go through them uh, match by match as the show goes along. But what would you like your first match to be to get us started? So if I was going to do my first match, it would be Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from SummerSlam 91. I believe it was the classic uh, match. Like, And I remember that as a child, just like, Mr. Perfect was one of my favorite wrestlers, but early on, I liked the big cartoon characters like Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and those guys. So uh, I was fond of those guys. I, and I wasn't the biggest Hogan fan. I was a Warrior fan, but I was a Hogan fan. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like Hogan was my guru. I, I preferred Warrior because he was just like more muscular and jacked and crazy and wild and running out to the ring. Um, he was more of a showman. Now, as I transitioned over, and started understanding wrestling a little more and appreciating the actual wrestling ability. I that match from Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect was, I think, the real transition because I remember watching that, and I, I watched it after it happened because I believe I rented the video from the library because uh, we had a VHS player and we didn't have cable or anything else like that, so I couldn't I couldn't watch stuff live, and we didn't have money to do any of that stuff. But I remember I, I rented that video from a library. And I watched it and I was just like blown away by the athleticism and the things and the storytelling they did in that match. And I really didn't even understand it because again, I was, I was a kid, you know, I, to see that match, I was 10 years old when that match came out. So I was, I probably didn't see it till I was 11 or 12. I don't remember to, to, uh, to be specific, but I was probably 11 or 12 by the time I seen that match. And I remember when I watched it, I was blown away. Intercontinental title belt on the line. The drama keeps building and building. Oh. Wow. That could be the climax blow right there. Let's Hitman get down and out, hooks him out. No. Yes. He couldn't get him. The tension. Perfect looking frustrated. Hart wants it bad. Perfect wants to keep it. Mom and daddy here. Millions and millions of people all over the world watching. There's nothing like WWF action. Taking it to the Here it comes now. Perhaps we'll see that perfect place. He's got him set up for it. Perfect will be in the showers in 10 minutes. Oh, no, no. Has he got the fingers locked? No, he got it I can't believe it. Nobody's ever kicked out of that. He kicked out. Come on, Brett. Muster all the guts you got in your body. Nobody has ever kicked out of the perfect place. Look at the coach. He's all better. He had those fingers locked, but I think already too much has been taken out of Mr. Perfect. It was a different speed, a different, you know, um, style of match that I was used to at that time. Because you got to you got to keep in mind, too, if I did watch wrestling at that time, it was still a lot of gyro matches. They didn't have, you know, two colossal titans go head to head. If they did, it was a pay-per-view or something built up to. If you watch Monday Night Raw or you watch one of the shows, you know, you were watching Tatanka versus, you know, Joe Blow versus, um, you know, who, Barry Horowitz or somebody. So, and, and, you know, it's not, that, that stuff's not bad either. I think that's needed. But, like, I didn't get to see the technical wizards 
perform. Yeah. So when, and when I watch Bret Hart and Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, that that is just. Is there a moment from that match, that SummerSlam match between Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, that you remember really captured your imagination when you saw it first time round? Um, now I haven't watched it in forever. And I've seen, I've since seen this in several other matches, but I do believe that was the first match where I've seen Bret Hart kick Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect's legs from out underneath him, and he would do a flip, and then he would do another bump, and then he would do another, and then he would grab the ropes, and then, I'm sorry, he would finish off with, like, the flip, like, Bret Hart would kick his leg out, and he would backflip and hold the ropes at the same time to sell a flip even more, like, Bret Hart was kicking the hell out of his legs. I believe it was that match. So, and, and I, I've seen a hundred people do it since, but I think that was the first match I actually seen that in. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Cause it was just like, they, they, they weren't beating a dead horse. You know what I mean? They weren't doing nothing like crazy, but they were telling a story where Brett was kicking his leg and every time he would kick it a little harder and the bumps would get bigger and bigger, you know, so that, that I'm, I'm a, I'm a psychology guy. Um, and I wasn't always a psychology guy. I was, you know, at first early on in my career as altar boy, Luke, I was I was a high flyer and I wanted to do high flying things. I wanted to re, really uh, change the game of high flying. But then I then, you know, jerks like uh, Jack Evans and Ricochet came along. <laughs> I say jerks. With I'm you, Ricochet. Hey, they were just so damn good. Right. They were so especially Jack Evans. I remember. And I was like, man, I, I can't keep <laughs> I can't do that stuff. I can't do three flips. And, and I'm like, I got to put on some weight and become a heavyweight. <laughs> Um, where the altar boy Luke you mentioned there, and and what's amazing is that when people see Luke Hawks now, you you have to think it's, it catches you off guard unless you already know that you were altar boy Luke. Like you well, look most like two different know. people. Most don't know. Yeah, most don't even realize. I mean, I, I hear it all the time. You know, there's still there's so many new wrestling fans who don't even realize what XPW was back then or any of those organizations around from back then, except like, you know, WWF or, or ECW. But then there is a lot of fans just that thought that Ultra Boy Luke died and got out of wrestling. They don't even realize that we're the same person that's been around this long. So it, it's, it's really, yeah, it's crazy. What were the origins of that particular persona for you, Ultra Boy Luke? How did that come um, XPW gave it to me. Mm. I didn't, it wasn't something I really wanted or really fit to. And I really wanted to get rid of it all at all times. It just, excuse me, I'm chewing. It's difficult because it was difficult because I'd made a name for myself as Alter Boy Luke. And I didn't know how to change my name and change my gimmick without changing the following I already had because social media wasn't, you know, it was non-existent back then. So they, that, there was, you know, there wasn't no Facebook or MySpace or anything. I don't even know what year that stuff came out, but I remember MySpace was the first big thing and where you started kind of talking to fans and them having access to you, which is always kind of weird because even today, like, I keep all my notifications on my phone turned off because it's such a different world. Like, these people and, – and we love fans, right? And there has to be a mutual respect. And I'm not The Rock. I'm not, I'm not the biggest wrestling star in the world, but – I do have a fan base and, and with the things I've done, it's not cool when, you know, at one in the morning, somebody's Facebook calling you that you don't know. And, and then, you know, things of that nature. So that's where it gets a little weird. 
So yeah, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's probably just your mental health good as well to keep notifications off because well, I've gone through phases where I have to do that because it's just too much to constantly have bidding, 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 bidding. You're never off. It's a perfect story right. all the time. And, and 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 the thing about social media is there's fifty thousand social media apps. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Facebook, you got Instagram, you got uh, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, Twitter. It just it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And you're supposed to have a an account on all of them. I don't, but, uh, but, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot to keep up with and it's a full-time job. And I think, I think it's a lot of false advertisement as well, because I don't think as many people, you know, people aren't posting their true selves, not that they have to all the time, but I don't think social media is used the way it should be used. There's a lot of lying. There's a lot of false advertisement. There's a lot of especially with wrestling for me it's like i'm not a fan as a promoter I, I i'm not a fan of using social media as a booking tool because like i get so many odd requests or so many you know dms that just say hey what's up from like wrestlers so they go hey i want to work on your show and you have no idea who this person is what they've mm. done it takes like the professionalism out of it where it makes you know, it too nice formal to informal right, not, rather yeah, I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. I don't know you. I've never met you. So why are you sending me a message saying, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, I'm not here to chat with you. I'm not, and I'm not, and that sounds like like a dick, and maybe it is, but it's just like I just explained how time is valuable, right? And and there's not enough time in the day as it is, so it's not. I don't spend a lot of time on social media chit chatting. Um, I don't, you know, I try and respond the best I can to everybody, but there's also people who get upset about that they're like hey i tweeted you and you didn't respond and you're like i didn't see it or you know like like it's not i'm not obligated to respond at all times you know if it's something it's just it's a weird world you know the social media like i prefer the old-fashioned way of paying your dues showing up setting up a ring or or, you know sending emails and emails so simple to send with a, a link of your videos and your promo pictures and your experience and some references, things of that nature. Uh, that that's where, where, you know, I really think is the best option to try and um, further your career and get bookings and make connections, but, but not, you know, most people nowadays are, are just, you know, they send you a message, they send you a friend request on Facebook and they're like, Oh, that's my boy. We're Facebook friends. They're like, I never what? met you. I've never seen it. What you're capable of. Yeah, it's too too impersonal. Was when you mentioned there about the email with the video and the and the almost the C, the CV the resume. Was that how you got in touch with Vic Grimes for the first time? No. Um, so I met Vic Grimes at an ECW show in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and at the time I was friends with the local wrestlers in Louisiana. And I would go to the shows and I would set up the ring and do all that stuff. And I was a kid. I was like 15. So I would go to these shows and I would help out. And I would always say, hey, you, you know, how, like the typical fan, book this guy, book that guy, do this, do that. But I was cool with, the, you know, the local wrestlers. Well, some of them anyway. And um, I asked Vic for his information because I wanted to try and get him on some local shows here. A friend of mine, Darren, Darren was a big fan of Vic's because he had read all about Vic in the magazines and the APW stuff and the WWF stuff. And when he came to ECW, he's like, dude, this guy is the real deal. He's like, he's like Mick Foley times 10 because of this dumb stuff he does. 
And he was. He was just this 400-pound guy who was doing these crazy, crazy, crazy things, right, for a guy his size. And uh, and I seen him wrestle that night. So I was like, man, go. My, my buddy Darren's like, I want to meet him. I want to meet him. I said, well, go talk to him. He's like, I ain't talking to him. I was like, well, I ain't talking to him either. He, looked, he looks pretty vicious, you know? So um, Darren wouldn't talk to him. So I said, you know what? Hell with it. I'm going to go talk to him. So I walked over to him and I introduced myself. And um, I said, hey, I, I, you know, help out with some local shows here. And I wasn't a book or anything, but I was like, I help out. You know, if you give me your info, I can give it on to a promoter. And hopefully I can get you booked. Try and get you booked. So that dummy fell for it and gave me his phone number. <laughs> <laughs> The art of the blag pays off beautifully. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started aggravating the hell out of him and calling him and, and emailing him. I mean, not emailing him. Uh, I was physically sending videotapes of me, like, doing backyard wrestling. And then when I started training with the local crews here, I started sending videos of that. And he would always critique me, and he would give me the time of day. I know I aggravated the hell out of him, but he would give me the time of day. And, you know, we, we became we became close, man. That's I, I lucked out. So when Vic Grimes and XPW gave you Alter Boy Luke, genuinely, all this time removed, what was your first reaction to that? Um, hold on a second. Um, so I didn't know what it was. Ryan Katz, a.k.a. Smiley, called me like... I think it was the night before an XPW show. It wasn't, it was, there wasn't a lot of time span. Um, maybe it was a day or two before the show. They called Vic up and they called me up and they said, Hey, we got, um, they called, they actually called Vic first because I was his student. So they said, Hey, we got something for your student tomorrow at the next show, like tomorrow or the day after, whenever it was, because we were on a show in Oakland the night before. So they said, hey, um, we want to put him in this tag team and give him this religious character with this other guy who's been hanging around here and make this tag team out of him and call him the altar boys. What do you think he would do it? And Vic said, of course he would. Give him, you know, Vic told me, and then he said, hey, they're going to call you. So Ryan, Ryan Katz called me. I think Kevin Kleinrock called me as well. They pitched the idea to me. I just said, okay, because – what was I going to say? Right. I, I was a nobody. I was looking for bookings and SPW was like the third biggest company in America at the time. And they were huge. So I was going to do pretty much whatever they wanted me to do, but I was not a religious guy and I, I'm not an atheist or anything, but I just never, I, you know, I grew up in a boy's home. I grew up, I got adopted late. That's a whole different story. If you know my background, I didn't have a lot of really solid fundamentals growing up. So Religion definitely wasn't something that was pushed pushed on me from an early age. So I really had no clue about religion other than, you know, the sign of the cross and, and, and saying a prayer. Um, I never read the Bible. So it was a little difficult for me to relate to. So I just tried to do like if you seen when I first came out, I would do the sign across on everybody. And then I would touch people and make them try and make them fall down like, the you know, like the. When the the, uh, the preachers on the TV, the evangelical yeah, guys, yeah, like the power of start- Jesus cures you of. All your diseases, like those people. Yeah, exactly. So, and that kind of took off and people were doing it. So uh, I ran with that. That was really the only trick I had in my bag. And I really wanted to get away from that character because it just, it was hard for me to relate to. Mm. And did you feel like there was a glass ceiling with that character as well? There's only so far you can take a gimmick oh, like 100%. that. A hundred percent. So, cause, cause you got, for me, you got to go one way or the other. You got to go really hard religion 
was just Bible quotes, not doing anything wrong. Or you go to the other side, which I think it's more popular for is, is, is the sex and the uh, altar boys being molested and, and, you know, by the preacher and that that's, you know, that that's something that's, let's be honest, it's not hidden in the Catholic church, right? Like, like that's like, it's been going on for how many years and there's been so many lawsuits and so many national outcries and especially with social media nowadays, you see the stuff that's posted out publicly. So I think it was really one side or the other with that character. And and I, I wasn't for either one of them. So I want to get away from it. Um, You had a a dark match with WWE during your time as altar boy Luke. Was that as altar boy Luke as well? Yeah. 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 So how did they uh, deal with that? I'm sorry, what? How how did they sort of workshop that character with you? They they liked it. A lot of places I went um, liked it. And the reason they did like it, like TNA, WWE, um, those those guys enjoyed the character. And especially for the fact that because I had a character, which I didn't understand back then, you know, Mm -hmm. like I didn't understand it as much as I do now today. Back then, that's when people really wanted to start going by their real names and kind of dropping the, you know, ECW was real prevalent. So, so, um, you know, there wasn't so much gimmicks. People wanted to be themselves or be hardcore or be Ring of Honor was upstarting. So like the strong style and the Japanese style was getting popular. So it was just like Tom Jones hit hard. You know what I mean? So like when I went to a place like WWE or TNA, they were like, oh, this kid has a character. So it kind of drew me in a different class. And I, you know, I just did, I didn't, honestly, I just didn't understand that back then. And it's not that I didn't understand that I had a character. I didn't understand that I was being different than everybody else because I had a character. Uh, to have them, to, to, I mean, on, in that particular match in question, uh, you guys went over. Did it feel like there was going to be something on the cards for, for you and Mortis yeah. at that point? Yeah, because that's where Canyon, I met Canyon, who was Mortis, and um, they were talking about, like, he was really pushed. That was the first time I met him. And he thought, he's like, hey, man, I watched all your stuff. You're really talented. Um, you know, and he's obviously said there's things you can fix. And, you know, those guys were trying to help me. There's also a time I met Matt Hardy. I met Orlando Jordan. Um, I met several guys who were kind of in the business and, and came to a developmental system who wanted to help me with my fundamentals and not just, you know, like my high spots. Because companies like XPW really weren't worried about my fundamentals. They were worried about more of the high spots and doing the death defying acts and getting that crazy move, you know, like going, oh, look what this guy did. It's crazy. Next time we got a topic. Those guys were like, hey, you know, tighten up your headlocks, do this when you're running the ropes, do that. So that's where I really started to learn, oh, there's more to wrestling than just, you know, flashiness, like doing things precise and being believable and things of that nature. And that, like, I really started to take more of a control of making things mean more other than just trying to do the craziest thing on the card. I still want to do the craziest stuff on the card as well, but like, I didn't want to go above and overboard. You know what I mean? Like, like when guys like uh, Rob Black from XPW, when he was booking that and I was there and after I did the 450 off the crow's nest through the two tables and the thumbtacks, which was brutal. It was a massive, massive move at the time that nobody's ever seen anything like that. It was a really transcendent event. And, uh, but the next, like right after that, they were like, Hey, so we got a scaffold that's 20 foot up. Last time you did a 450 from like 10 foot up. Now we got the scaffold that's 20 foot up. How about you do a shooting star press off the scaffold through a table with thumbtacks? And I'm like, 
nah, I'm good. That ain't me. You know what I mean? Like I see where this is going. So like I kind of started to really want to get away from that stuff. And I wanted to focus more on fundamentals. And like I said, I wanted to still do high flying moves and be uh, really transcending on the, on the high flying front. But I also wanted things to be more meaningful when I didn't want to be a death match guy. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that crazy bump guy because that's what people start expecting everywhere you go. It's like, Oh, you did this here. Can you do something like that at our show? And you're like, yeah, for a hundred bucks. No, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> we had uh, we had Nick Mondo on the other day. I know you've been you you kind of keep crossing paths with throughout your time. And uh, Nick was saying like you forget how short Nick Mondo's career was because he did so much in 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 terms of in ring career. Like he did so much in such such a short amount of time. Uh, but even he said like it reached the point where I knew this wouldn't last forever. Like the stuff they're asking me to do. And even yeah. like the writing was on the wall after like the first couple of years. And he went, I need to walk away. Was it the same with yourself? No, exactly. I didn't ever want to walk away. I just wanted to get out of death matches and like the uh, the craziness of things, like like always having to top yourself. I wanted it to be built. If we're going to do something crazy, let's build to it and, and let's go, you know, let's have matches that progress and we do the crazy thing at the final match at the end and leave the crowd with somebody with, with something to talk about. And uh, and, that, and that's, you know, I still do crazy stuff to this day. But again, I don't do it every match. You see, like when you see Luke Hawks, you see some ass kicking. You know, you mm. see some legit wrestling and ass kicking. And then, you you know, you see some crazy stuff too. And that, that's really how I broke off into the movie world and the stunt world because I was already a stuntman, essentially. Right? Mm. I was doing these crazy death-defying stunts for, for, for low money. And, uh, you know, and wrestling was always my heart. But then, like, I broke off in the film – and, and, and then that's where people started asking me, hey, you're doing so well with films. You have like went like this. You skyrocketed in films. Why are you still wrestling? You don't have to wrestle. And obviously the films pay you way more than wrestling does because, I mean, you're going to work on a $400 million film and then go work on an independent wrestling show that's drawing 500 people. Which one do you think is paying more? You know, Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, but but wrestling is my passion and it's what you know, it's what my heart was always into. So I always said I'm a wrestler first. Like I've never stepped away from wrestling, even to this today. Today, look, if I wanted to right now. I could not step foot in a wrestling ring or have anything to do with wrestling ever again and fully sur- fully focus on films. And I would probably do about. 10 times better than I'm doing now. I'm doing great now, mm. but I could probably do 10 times more than what I'm doing. But I, I, I'm not able to do that because I love wrestling so much. I cannot commit to just film work. You know, like I have to take my wrestling bookings. I have to. And the thing I'm doing with my son, PJ, like the father son tag team, we were the first father son tag team. And I'm not knocking anybody else, but I will put that out there. We were the mm-hmm. first father son full time tag team. We were the first father son tag team to win championships. We did it in 2019 at uh, Reality of Wrestling for Booker T. And then we did it at Wildcat Sports. And then you've seen so many other people bite off it. And I'm not knocking them for doing it, but look how many people tried to bite off it after we did it and we made it popular, right? Uh, USA Today just did a huge article on us earlier this week. You know, if you if you want, I can send you the link. You can post it up in the, in this video. But yeah, we and I've been told that 
we were the top rated story on USA Today and sports story. And we were the third biggest story on USA Today all week long, which is huge. US Today, USA Today is a huge magazine. So, There's so much conversation about that at the moment. Obviously, WWE running Ray and Dominic Mysterio as the father and son tag team. But yeah, as you say, and you know, those those long suffering wrestling fans are watching that, going, "Well, this has kind of been done already. Let's not uh, pretend that it hasn't." Like, right, right. And but we caught some slack off of that because not not all for Ray and Dominic. Uh, and I, I love Ray and Dominic too. I don't know Dominic well. I, I met him at Ray's house uh, a couple summers ago when we spent a few days with Ray. But um, but like with Billy Gunn and, and and his kids too, it's like we were getting a good push and we were doing things. And then we would start having people comment off of when Billy and his kid went to AEW, they were like, Oh, they're stealing Billy and, uh, and, and his son's gimmick. And we're like, what? We were doing this like a year and a half before they were, you know? So all this is why you keep doing. your notifications off. <laughs> this is yeah, why you it, do it. <laughs> exactly, bro. Exactly. I want to talk more about um, uh, the, the the father-son tag team that started it all and we want to get into your, your acting work as well. But let's get to your second match for your DVD. Uh, we've had Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect from SummerSlam. What's your second one going to be, Luke? So my second match, give me one second. Let me close my door. Ah, no worries. It was a point in my teenage years. I remember watching. I was so intrigued ECW. It was my favorite promotion. It was where I wanted to go. It was everything I wanted to be. Shane Douglas was my favorite wrestler at the time. Uh, he was repeatedly being injured over and over again because he was, you know, he, he'd had a long, long, glorious career at that point with all the stuff Shane did. And by the time ECW got to this really high elevated level and Shane was still a top guy, Shane had, had, had killed himself for many, many, many years. And he was like, he was the standard of that wrestling company, right? He was the top guy. He was the champion. He was the talker. And I was very, very... Uh, captivated by Shane and everything he did and Al Snow was on the come up I think he was getting ready to leave ECW and go to WWE they were doing the head gimmick with the styrofoam heads and everything and he would built up really big and they had a pay-per-view match where Shane's arm was broke he still wrestled he wrestled Al Snow I don't remember the name of the pay-per-view which pay-per-view was I don't remember I, I, I haven't found this match. I've been trying to find it so I can watch it nowadays. So if anybody has a link to this match, please send it to me. Um, I do believe the one you're after, I think we, we, we briefly mentioned this before it began, I do believe the one you're after is Wrestlepalooza 1998. The fans rallying behind Al Snow. 16 years of frustration in this business. Drove Al Snow nuts. Is tonight his night? Is tonight the night that Al Snow defeats his demons? Silences his critics and becomes the heavyweight champion of the world? Al Snow coming out to Prodigy. And right. it was an entire arena full of styrofoam heads. People shaking yes. the styrofoam heads as he came out to the ring. It looked like a rave. And yes. uh, and it was also again, like, and Douglas was really good at this at, the, at his absolute at peak. Shane Douglas, like Alsto came within a within a, a whisker of becoming ECW champion on a number of occasions in that match. Yeah, it, it, and that was like I was so Al was built so much going into that match as a top guy. He was getting a really, really, really big push, and ECW was just it was Al Snow. It was the head show everywhere you looked, head, 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 right. I thought Al Snow was going to win that match. And I was actually upset because I was such a big Shane fan. I really wanted Shane to win that match. And, and I said, man, Shane's hurt. He's been hurt. He probably needs time off. His arm's messed up. Um, 
I was starting to get into the dirt sheet. So you were reading things about it, you know, prior to that. And I was like, man, this, this is it. Shane's going to, you know, Shane's going to put this guy over. And Shane ended up pulling it out. And it was just so like, oh, my God. I remember watching it and just being, you know, mesmerized by the match. So I, I would love to go back and watch it. I haven't been able to find it. So I, I would really love to go back and watch that match today with the same music, you know, not, not edited by WWE with this crap generic music in the background. I, I want to go back and watch that for what it was and see how it stands up to me today. Well, if there's any tape traders listening who can get a, 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 a proper copy of Alto yeah. Shane Douglas, complete with the proper theme music, um, then Luke Hawks needs it. He needs it. Great choice as well for that one. Like, and I won't ask you about the specifics because, as you say, it's one that you, unless it's a particular bit that you can remember off the top of your head, but as you no, say, it's one you've not watched in a while. I, I remember, I, I haven't watched, I haven't, I don't watch wrestling. And, and I, it's not because I don't want to. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out as much as I can. It's just I'm always on the go. And, you know, mm. I, I, got, I just got off heels. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of how my days went on the television show. Heels just oh, yes, yeah. Do us, do us a, a timeline of your day from your alarm going okay. off to hitting the pillow. So I lived about 40 minutes on average away from my work if we were at the one studio's. Now, if we're on a location somewhere else, average was about an hour away, maybe an hour and a half. So I'd wake up in the morning. The first thing I would do is wake up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 a.m., go train. If we're, if we're on location somewhere, I would go to the gym around the corner from my house, get my training session in, go home, shower really quick, go straight to work, whatever my call time was. It's usually on a Monday. It's usually like 7 or 8 a.m. So I try and knock out my workout as quick as possible. If I'm at the studio, I had to be there for 8 a.m. I could work out at the studio. Uh, so I wouldn't get up at 5 a.m. But um, it just depends on how our days were. On average, every day was 12 to 14 hours. I would work because the filming days are no less than 12 hours normally. I was the wrestling coordinator. I was also an actor on the show. So which meant... I, anything action involved came from my brain. So I put it all together, anything action related. If I was on set, I was coordinating the action and telling the guys what to do and watching over and, and playing my role at the same time. If I wasn't on set, I was at the studio physically putting the action together and shooting video, showing the guys and, and rehearsing with the actors and the other wrestlers of what the action should look like. So every day was literally a 12 to 14 hour day. And then you got to throw in my gym on top of that, you know, come home, speak to your kids, you know, Skype with my youngest kid or my girlfriend or whatever and get some sleep and do it all over again. So there wasn't any time, you know, and, and anything I had to watch was the work that we was doing, you know, editing our videos and making them make sense and putting them together and then, you know, picking it apart and seeing how to do this better and how we could do that better. So it, it was really no time, no downtime to watch TV, to relax, to do any of that stuff. You know, there, again, my relaxing time was going to the gym and trying to just focus on getting a workout in for an hour and a half or so and then getting out of there and go to work. So it wasn't that I don't want to watch wrestling. It's just it's hard to find the time to do anything. Um, and, and, you know, the, and that's just the life. That's the lifestyle it is. You know, and then you got to throw in family responsibilities and all that on top of that you gotta think i didn't see my youngest kid who 
I would probably go three or four months spurts without seeing him, you know, and then I would get to see him for a weekend or something. So, and, and throw my girlfriend in on top of that. Now, my oldest son, DJ, who's my tag partner, was with me on the show. He was the assistant coordinator, and he also plays a role. So, I was with him every day, and we were working out together and doing all stuff. But he's 22 years old. You know, you keep in mind, I got a nine-year-old. And I know people probably don't care to hear about all my personal life stuff, but I'm just trying to give you guys an idea of what it's like of a day in my shoes. It's not, I'm not sitting at home and coming up and getting in a recliner and kicking my feet up and turning the TV on. So it's, it's really difficult to um, just have that time to be able to invest into a, a, something other than the project you're working on. How do you keep the energy up? It's my life. Like I, so people, my, my personal people who know me, and then there's the people who just know of me or see me in the rest of the world. They have no idea what my background is. They have no idea that the lifestyle I grew up in. You know, again, I grew up in a boy's home. My mother was a drug addict. My dad didn't want anything to do with me. I got adopted late at the age of 15. And I didn't have a real big work ethic growing up because school wasn't a priority for me. Um, I didn't have a lot of skills. I, it was, you know, I grew up a very, very neglected child. So wrestling was my escape from life. And then I learned like people instilled those values in me to work harder and the harder you work, the more you can be and the, the, you know, better you can have it. And I've seen how the rest of my family or people I knew lived and, and I hated that life. Like I legit hated it. It was a miserable life. Um, as a young child, I used to often question why I was alive and why I was put in the situation I was put in. And, um, it was hurt, you know, I was hurt as, as, cause I, like, it was, you gotta imagine being a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, even younger, starving and being made fun of for wearing women's clothes to school. Like I hated school because I got picked on so much and, and because I would wear women's clothes because that's what my mom would dress me in because she was, you know, she'd spend her money on drugs. She didn't work. She got government assistance and things of that nature. So, so I, I was miserable. And I like, again, I, I never really want to commit suicide, but I always questioned why God would put me in such a rough situation. And I, I have a huge chip on my shoulder, huge. I still do to this day, which makes me work harder and harder. And I try and instill that in my kids because I don't want my, I don't want my kids to have the same life that I had, but I also don't want them to have any struggles that I had because I know what that was like, right? I want them to work hard. I want them to appreciate. I want them to outwork everybody else. And I'm not saying that like, my, my goal is always a friendly competition. I just want to be better than everybody else. I don't want to see other people fail unless you're not working hard. You know what I mean? Like I got no sympathy for somebody who's not putting in the work, mm. but like my goal is just to be better. So every day I'm waking up and I'm wanting to be better. So it's, it's, and it's tiresome. It is tiresome. It's difficult, but you know what? I never want to go back to that life that I had as a child or as a teenager. It was miserable as a later teenager. When I was working two or three jobs to chase my wrestling career and I was working 50, 60 hours a week or more and making like little to no money and then going driving across country to go wrestle and we get driving eight to 10 hours to a show to try and get booked on a show and not sleeping and all that stuff. It, it was, it was, it was madness. So like, I don't, I would much rather work my ass off and have a great paycheck and a great living than work my ass off for nothing and be miserable and try and chase my dreams. So it's like, I can't take steps back. So every day I'm like, Hey, I got to get up. I told you 
My last meal was at one o'clock yesterday. This was my first meal since 1 p.m. yesterday. And it's just yesterday I was drained. I, I, I only have days like that. I had some family stuff to do. I ate my meal. Uh, I did some family stuff. I had my kid to my younger son. I had him until about six in the evening. As soon as I dropped him off to his mom, I didn't even have the energy to eat. I came home, I showered, I laid in bed, and I just kind of dozed off around eight o'clock by the time I got home and showered and everything. And I was like, I know I've only eaten once today. I know I'm not really taking care of my body the way I need to, but I am just physically exhausted today. I need to shut down. I need to wake up, do my gym, and get back on schedule tomorrow. And that's what I did today. With with everything that you went through as a youngster and and how much you have going on now, is is part of the reason why you do so much a sort of a fear of what might happen if you stop? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm not, I can't stop. Like, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing in me that would stop me. And the only thing that scares me is being injured to where I couldn't do the things that I want and need to do. Because for me, it's like a want and a need. Um, I, I physically love going to the gym and working as hard as I can every day. A lot of people, it's a chore, but for me, it's a challenge. Like, I really like challenging myself. So, uh, and, and obviously, I have to work around a ton of injuries and pains because of the physical attributes to, from wrestling and stunts and stuff like that. But trying to find that balance. So, if I ever had a serious injury to where I couldn't do these things that I love to do, I don't honestly know if I would be in good shape mentally or, or, you know, I would enjoy my life as much because, because right now it's difficult, but I, I do absolutely adore everything I do. It's, it's great when it's work that you love because then it, you never really feel like you stop. Like, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that the job that I do now, I love, and I've been able to keep doing it during um, the last 12 months, but do it from home. But I'm also aware that, in order to as a self-preservation thing i've thrown myself into it more than i ever have and right. uh, and so when you talk about how busy it is and and you kind of go well it's just because all this is going on and i love it and i want to do it all i know for me that part of it is i kind of don't want to deal with what my head might do if i stop if i have time no. to really take everything into account a hundred percent and then his other thing is like I'm glad to do this interview. This is actually a very unique inter interview than kind of what I'm used to doing. And um, excuse me, the, the problem with it is it's like, I, I we, we've just met today, but I'm assuming that you do this full time for a living, correct? I do. Yeah. This is, this is your job. Most people are trying to get started in this because they think it's an easy thing to do, right? It, all you got to do is have a computer and a microphone and some headsets and you can start doing your own podcast. Mm. So imagine, like we talked about earlier with social media, how often we're just hit up by Joe Smo saying, hey, I want to have you on my podcast. And yeah. like, they don't, everybody's trying to get their foot in the door some way, shape or form, right? There's no grind work. They haven't put 10 years into a podcast. How long have you put into a podcast? Like you personally, I'm asking you a question now. How long oh. have you put into a podcast in this lifestyle before you could turn it into a profession. Oh, well, I mean, in terms of podcasting, I've been doing it for about six or seven years in different platforms. This particular show has been running, this is the, it's coming up to the second year of, of weekly and sometimes twice weekly shows. So it's, and it's that thing of when you're starting out, absolutely what you said there, everybody does one now. So you kind of have to do something that cuts through the noise a little bit and go, 
I know everyone's asking you, but this one's a bit different. What do you say? Right. And so people still say no, and that's fine. That's them. But then once once you get the ball rolling with it, you can go, it's a bit different. These people who you know have done it. You know, we're talking today because we've just had Nick Mondo on, and I approached Nick, and Nick was very gracious to give me some of his time, and he said, you've got to talk to Luke. And I was like, yeah, well, we've got to talk to Luke. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad to do it. It's just, uh, but, you know, talking to you, I'll switch my story back to you for a little bit. One thing that is awesome is what you just said. You've been doing this for six to seven years and you've been trying to do at least one or two interviews a week. That's grinding. Most people do it for six months and they'll do an interview here or there or they'll get no a million times and then they'll quit doing it because they're not Joe Rogan. Yeah. And I mean, they're like, oh, my podcast didn't take off. I'm not getting, you know, a million downloads a month. Uh, you know, and then they're on to the next venture. So I, I, I respect people like yourself who just put the work in and build and build and build because that's how you become successful is day in, day out, working on the same thing over and over again and always, you know, trying to work harder. You know, yeah. it's not, it's, and you're going to fail in the process. I failed more times than I, than I succeeded for sure. But, uh, Part of the success is in failure. It sounds like something you'd see on a tea towel, but part of the success is indeed in failure because it's when you, 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 I've had, I've had some, some interviews that have gone way off the beaten track and I've come away and I've gone, yeah, that didn't work that. But then you go, you, you sort of, you, you feel a bit sad for it. And then you look back and go, okay, why didn't it work? What can we do different next time? How can we stop that happening again? Was it a freak thing? Was it something that I did? And that's part of it, isn't it? That's where the success comes in failing because everything gets better. Right. Hundred percent, brother. Thank you. Yeah, but that's. But I appreciate the thing. But for yourself, let's come back to you because this is yours, Luke. This is. <laughs> Stop it! I see what you're doing. Stop it. Um... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot of people have seen you not just wrestling, but have your face caved in by an adamantium claw. 
and that's quite a, quite a prestigious resume to have. So how did the the acting path begin for you then? How did we get so, there? Because I know, I know you were SAG now, aren't you? I've been SAG since 2009. So nine. Mm. So, uh, yeah, my first film was in 2006. It's called The Dead Sleep Easy. It was with Vampiro. We filmed it in Guadalajara, Mexico. And that was that came off of our MTV project, Wrestling Society X, where Vampiro was part of that. And his producers and directors were at our tapings in, in Hollywood at the TV studios. And at the time, uh, they asked me to be part of that project, which I thought, you know, I thought it was bullshit. Um, I, I, sorry about the cursing, but ah, I, thought all was, right. I thought it was BS. I, I didn't think somebody was really shooting the movie because when you go to Hollywood, there's so many people with, you know, that just talk out their ass. And, um, and, and they were telling the truth. They were really shooting the movie. And they called me and, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, Lee, uh, Lee, Robert Menzies and Lee Dombardi, Lee, I really want to work with Lee again. He was a director for that film. And I was, I was terrible in that film. <laughs> I was, I was absolutely horrendous uh, because I thought it was basically wrestling, right? I thought film fighting was basically wrestling, but it, it's, it's not anything close to it. And I didn't understand it back then. So um, in order for me to be successful at it, it lit a fire in my blood. And I wanted to get better at it, so I had to do some training. And I went to start training with a guy named Phil Odell at his stunt facility. And I started training with Phil for several years before I got my second gig. I trained from two, uh, late 2006 to, I think, like mid-2009 before I got my SAG card. Mm. So that's a lot of work to put in before I ever got another opportunity in films. And then from there, you know, you kind of start getting more opportunities and more opportunities and more opportunities. And you know, you do a good job and you train harder and, you know, this guy sees you and they think you do a good job. So they want to bring you in on the next project and, um, and you audition for some roles and, you know, you, you get told a million times, no, you know, or you just don't hear back. And then, you know, it just takes one. Yes. And then it takes another. Yes. And another yes. So you keep plugging away. And, uh, I haven't forgot about my third match either. We still got it. Oh, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But um, it's, as you said, it comes back to that whole thing about the grind, doesn't it? About it's just grind. Yeah, just, it's just you know, grind. not not giving up, knowing this is where you should be, knowing this is what you can bring, and and you know, and all end up getting an adamantium uh, claw through the face by the hand the hands of Hugh Jackman. Is he a it's cool bad. guy? He come, He seems like he's a nice guy. Uh, wonderful guy. Wonderful yeah. guy. Uh, very very fun to work with. Very pleasant is a good word. You know, some, some people you have really minimal interaction with. Um, Hugh, Hugh was very cool to work with. You know, I, I've been fortunate that I, I haven't had a lot of unpleasant interactions with actors. You know, there's, there's, there's been actors that I haven't really clicked with, but nothing bad, like James Franco, right? Uh, I know I've worked with him for about six weeks on a project called, um, hold on. So many, they blur together. So I'm trying to... Homefront. So Jason oh, yeah. Statham, I know Homefront. Yeah, that was a good movie. So uh, very, very well done movie. Jason Statham, Winona Ryder, uh, Frank Grillo. So so all of us kind of bonded and were really cool one night because we were just working with each other so much, right? Mm-hmm. And James um, was very... He wasn't a jerk, but he would be... Like when we were chit-chatting, the rest of the group was kind of hanging out and both BSing and, and just, you know... Doing our thing, James would be kind of by himself just reading the book, you know, sitting in a corner somewhere, left alone, reading the book, 
And, and there's nothing wrong with that as well. You know, it's just, it's every, you get you different personalities from everybody from all ends. So uh, I've never really had a lot of negative interactions with guys, but there's, there, there has, Jamie Fox was awesome. When me and Jamie worked together on project power, you know, I, I was on that doing some, uh, some of the fight choreography. I did some driving and then I had my little acting scene with Jamie in that as well. So I was on that, you know, people think they see you on just that scene and your scene's only a minute long. So you're not, and it's long. I was there for like probably six weeks, two months or so filming that show, filming that movie, doing various things on it. So you and the crew are always together. So you become tighter and you joke and you laugh and you're silly. And, you know, and Jamie was a really upbeat guy and very fun to work with and always, you know, bringing entertainment to the set. And, you know, I'm kind of the same way. I'm always smiling and I'm trying to have a good time wherever I go. I'm trying to uplift the people. So it was really cool to work with Jamie on that. I had a great time. But there's just, there's a lot of guys, man. There's a lot of fun people to work with. The heels, working with, you know, Chris Bauer and, and, and Trey Tucker and uh, David James Elliott. They're, they're, they're just Robbie Ramos, uh, Alan Molinaro, Mal- Malinato, uh, James Harry. Like, dude, we had so much fun working for Michael Malley, who's the showrunner, Peter Siegel, the director. You know, these guys are massive like Peter Seagull, if you go back and look at everything Peter's directed, it was, you know, it was Naked Gun, uh, Tommy Boy, uh, Longest Yard, so many different massive projects Peter directed. And then, you know, Michael Malley is showrunner. He also writes and he's an actor. He, you know, he's from Glee. He was the host of Nickelodeon Guts. This guy's career is, is, is a mile long. And to work with these guys and to learn underneath their umbrella is just a phenomenal experience. How have you found? Because let's let's talk about heels. Because that's because that is a, such a, a, a perfect project for yourself. You know, somebody who is, is super proud of wrestling and will always keep it, you know, in, in his heart and in his diary. And you know, to be doing stuff as a, as a stunt coordinator as well on a wrestling show that's that's going to be a big thing when it lands on stars. It's going to be year. huge. It's, it's, it's going to have it's going to have that glow sort of effect, I think, in bringing lots no, of people no, in. No, I think it's going to be bigger. And the reason I say that is because I've read and been a part of everything the show's done from top to bottom. So everything that the show has been in, I've been a part of top to bottom. So the way the scripts are written by Michael Waldron and the guys, you know, Michael Malley guys who rewrote some of the scripts and things, they're so much diversity in it it's these these scripts are dramas you know it's not like a lot of people think it's going to be more of a reality show and it's not Mm. it's a drama and it's very 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 well written um there's there's something for everybody in it and you do not have to be a wrestling fan to watch this show like the 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 point of this show is for the non-wrestling fan to watch it and learn about wrestling and understand it you know i mean and understand what's going on understand the matches understand that the phrases and the gimmicks and everything, but also not solely focused on wrestling. You see the outside life. You would see the outside life of an independent wrestler coming up through the ranks and, and what they go through and how regular life is for these people. Now, and obviously yourself uh, and many other people working on that show have a wrestling background. We know Stephen Amell is a massive wrestling fan as well. Uh, for, for non-wrestling fans who've been part of the project, have they, have they been converted to wrestling fans? Is there, uh, what, what have they made of, of being part of that world? Well, I think they really respect the sport. 
So they came in kind of with no idea. I remember I had a conversation with Xander, uh, Alexander Ludwig from Vikings, who is our one of our leads on the show. Mm. Him and Stephen Mel play brothers. And he came up to me early on after uh, after a wrestling scene one day, and he goes, "How the hell do you guys do this?" He's like, "I mean, like, what do you do to be so hyped? Because you know, you have to be on twenty four seven." When that, when that camera's on and when you go out in front of the people, he's like, how do you do that? And he's like, it's dangerous. And he was a hell of an athlete. He picked everything up quickly, but he didn't understand how physically involved the sport was at first because, you know, I'm, I don't know if he was a fan or not. He just, he probably never really been around it. So being involved in, he was like, this is really mind blowing how intense it is and how integral it is and this and that. And he's like, I really... Xander was one of those guys. He was just like, look, I really want this to look good. And I want people to believe that I'm a professional wrestler. So please, if there's anything I can do better, help me. You know, oh, and there, there right. was several guys. Alan was like that. Uh, you know, th- th- like Chris Bauer, Chris Bauer, uh, you know, who, whose character is um, Wild Bill in it. It's going to be a phenomenal real char- character. But, but like Chris is a massive wrestling fan. Chris actually promoted a wrestling show in, uh, Southern California and just he grew up a wrestling fan he loves wrestling so he he did not he studied so much on previous characters you know and he wanted he just wanted to do wrestling justice he's like I want people to believe that I'm a wrestler when I'm on screen so it, it was it was very cool and uplifting to see people care about their jobs and not just trying to mail it in I'm I'm delighted to hear about about Xander because bloody love him in Vikings. So I'm really happy that he's somebody that threw himself into the role as well. Really, really up for seeing it. And it's so cool that it's, you know, as you said earlier, it's something you get to work with your son on as well. Which yeah. must be a great experience. And and your son factors into your, th- into your third match, doesn't he? Yes. So my son factors into my third match. And the reason he does is because I'll go back and I'll explain this from the beginning. Um... Stephen Richards is one of my best friends. We have a extended career together. I've known Stevie since I was a young kid. Um, from, from him working independent wrestling shows in Louisiana and me, you know, helping out and putting up the ring and being a fan and buying tickets. And so he's watched me grow into the performer that I am today. And he's watched Perry grow from a little kid to the man he is now. And they started off teaming and we all teamed together. And then they started having some singles matches. And then, you know, they, they had this feud that built it. And it, it was kind of like a legit feud. It was, it was like Stevie really wanted to teach him a lesson and not maliciously. Like he just wanted him to appreciate wrestling. And he knew how hard Perry worked, PJ worked. He knew Perry's background as an amateur wrestler. He, and he did want Perry to fall down the same path that others like second generation wrestlers may fall down or have, you know, get in quick, get in easy, fall out quick and easy because, you know, just he really wanted Perry to work for everything he had. So he came to me with the idea of feuding with him. And I kind of took the back seat to that because I didn't want much involvement because I didn't want to be the father just, you know, hovering over him saying no no do this like i wanted to let perry be a man and you know honestly really who better than stevie richards right a guy who's done it all been everywhere 
So I let, like, it was very emotional for me because I remember one day they had a singles match and, and, and none of this was planned. Again, not, I, like, this is not choreographed. This is not, um, this wasn't something that was talked about in the back. I stayed out of things. He was beating the hell out of Perry in a match, like beating him. And Perry was taken and Perry would give it back. But when he would do it, like I came out, I came out from behind the curtain, legit. I started standing at the announcer's podium. And when he would do something, he would just stare me in the eyes. And he would look at me and I would get teared up because I would, I knew like he was testing my son and making my son pay his dues and making him earn his spot. And I knew that I had to stay out of it. Right. And, and this is all legit. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, BSing, I'm not, I'm not making a fabricated tale. This was all legit. None of this was discussed. None of this, none of this was talked about. This was just all really emotional between a father and a son and a friend who were cultivated into this feud against each other. Because I feuded with Stevie and we would go like hardcore. Like I would push Stevie because Stevie was inspired by how hard I worked in the gym. And he's like, he, you know, he's older than me. He'd been around longer than me. But it was like, hey, I still want to go at a level like you. I don't want to digress because I'm older and because I've been more places, right? He's like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want that fire that you have inside. So like we would push each other. And then like when he was with Perry, he kind of took it to a whole different level. He got a little, a lot more aggressive. And I could feel that. And it wasn't, he wasn't being malicious with it. I understood that as well. It was just like, He's like, hey, I'm going to push this kid and make sure this kid has what it takes to be in the business and not just float him on because he's your son. So that was really emotional for me. And the fans at Wildcat got to see these numbers of matches take place. So which goes into my third favorite match. And again, I was there from day one and I was a part of all of them, like in some way, shape or form, even if I was just watching the match at our eighth year anniversary anniversary show at Wildcat at Poncha Train Center in Kenner, Louisiana, 2,000 plus fans. The final match between PJ Hawks and Stevie Richards, which was a hardcore match. And these guys went at it and they used every weapon in the book. They had technical matches, they had submission matches, they've had multiple matches. What led up to this weapons hardcore match, they used fire extinguishers, they used tables, they used glass bottles, they used you know, and that was really out of my son's element. I was kind of against it because I didn't want him to do the same things I did with like death matches and hardcore stuff. And, you know, Stevie was for it. He said, you need to let him do this. And he wanted to do it and kind of push himself. And I had to take the, the, a step back as a father and just say, hey, you guys are both men. Again, I have no input. I haven't had any input on any of this. I'm just going to watch and I'm going to do my best not to let my emotions run wild and not try and stay. And this is legit. Could you imagine, Mm. imagine being a parent, you have kids? No, I don't. Okay. But I know what you're coming from. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a child, a young child that you're close to anybody, nephews, nieces, or somebody got a little brother? Uh, No, I've got, I've got, um, I've got a niece and a nephew who who are like three and four. So what I can tell people it's just legit. Imagine watching your son get the hell beat out of him. And you know, he's in pain because you're a performer. You do the same thing. So you know, what hurts, you know, what doesn't hurt, right? You know, what's a show. 
and you know the things that aren't a show and it's physically toll taking on your body. And I would watch my son do it. I watched my son do it with one of my closest friends and I would be so shook up and emotional because I knew he was being tested, but I knew I had to let him become a man. You know, I knew I had to let him. So you go back to that match, which you can go watch on our YouTube. You go watch on the Wildcat Sports YouTube, W-I-L-D-K-A-T, Wildcat Sports, Cat with a K. You go to our YouTube, you watch it. And that match was so emotional for me. I, I, I'm, I'm literally getting a little teary thinking about it because it was just, my heart was so invested into it. You know, we know the history of Stevie Richards. We know now what? that his voice hasn't been the same since he had throat surgery. What's that guy to do with this wrestling? Well, he's trying to show PJ Hawks that he is in over his head. Oh! And maybe he is. Maybe he's right. Maybe this was a mistake. And that is the gesture of Luke Hawks mocking the Hawks family. He's mocking him? It's disgusting. Are you kidding me? The whole family is a freaking joke. I know that I know that Stevie Richards is a legend, but it's just, it's the way he goes about this, Chris. This is just the disrespect. And that's what this matchup is all about. It's about respect. Stevie doesn't believe that PJ belongs in the ring getting in the he way doesn't. that he has. What has he done to earn? Oh my oh. god! <laughs> Talk about low. No little grandkids for Luke Hawks, huh? <laughs> the only thing I, I, I hate about the match, it wasn't the match itself, was the arena was so big, our, our ringside microphones didn't pick up how loud the crowd reaction was in that match. The ovation that Perry got, the, the, the heel heat that Stevie got as a heel, Oh my God, it was watching, like if you ask Mike Johnson from PW Insider, who is a very, very credible wrestling, you know, historian and, and, and uh, reporter, he was there. He flew down for that show. He said the only thing that he wrote this in a report, the only thing he can relate it to as a young Von Eric like Kerry coming out at the Sportatorium in Dallas. Back wow. So, and that's how loud and intense it was for Perry, you know, for PJ. I call him Perry. His name's PJ Hawks, but he's, he goes by Perry and PJ. Um, but, like, that was, man, that match was just wild and very intense. You said a moment ago um, you were tearing up thinking about the match. Yeah. What What were you thinking of as you teared up? What you moment? You know, it's... Really, no, none specific. It was just the pain. I'll go back to, you know, everybody knows wrestling is a show, but wrestling is real. You know, it's entertainment, but it's real, and it's got so much more real nowadays than it, than it has been since like the 1980s with Hogan and them. Because, you know, you got you got high definition television, you got pause and rewind, so somebody's not making contacted they're not hitting somebody you can see it nowadays so these guys are really beating the hell out of each other more than ever so now right and i remember just seeing my son get hit and get taken you know certain moves and this and that and it, really this is throughout their feud but that match the, the christmas i think it was the i don't remember if it was christmas night or not the, the show before that 
where they had a really, again, where Stevie was in the ring and he was just staring at me and I came out to the podium and I was just watching because I couldn't watch it on the monitor in the back anymore. I had to come out and see it in person. I was so visibly shook up. Like I was crying. If you go back to match, you watch me, I'm pouring tears out of my eyes for real because I know my son is taking physical abuse and he's just, he's got something to prove that he can take it and he can keep going. And, and, and then like, again, that match at the Poncha training center, like it was now you, you're involving weapons, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting hit with certain objects and, you know, you're getting whipped with a belt and you're doing these certain moves that they're just, they're toll taking on you. So to see somebody you care about physically get hit is not an easy situation to watch. Imagine what, and, and look, I, like this is, I, I, this is a really, really, really bad analogy, but it's something I can relate to because it's how I grew up. I've watched my mom get her teeth, you know, punched out of her mouth by men, just a guy on top of her, just punching her in the face. And it's, it's a terrible thing for a child to see. And that's the way I grew up because of the living conditions I was in. So to see, imagine anybody see their mother or someone they care about being beaten I can relate to that with my kid in that match because, again, there you go. You take it one step further where I'm a performer and I've been in those situations and I know how bad things hurt and I know what takes a toll and what doesn't, what's kind of a show and what's really impactful. And I see my son doing that. And it was difficult to watch as a father. As everybody else, they're watching as an entertainer, as, a, as entertainment. I'm yeah. watching as a father, one of my best friends, just going at it. So it, it was it was intense. Um, who to 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 brighten it a bit? Who pitched the idea for the father son tag team? Was it you or Perry? It was me. It was me, mm. and it was really because uh, I just had to say, like, we think a lot the same. Uh, not so to speak in life, but in wrestling, like we think a lot, and he obviously he he mimics a lot of what I do just from being my kid, right? He walks like me. He talks like me. He makes some of the same facials I make. Um, but he knows what to expect from me and what I expect and what I want. So I was just like, look, you're getting to that age where you're ready to come up. And I'm not, so to speak, slowing down, but I don't necessarily want to be on the road 300 days a year wrestling singles matches, neither. And we, I, but I have a lot of gas in the tank left. And anytime a father-son tag team has been done, it was more of a special attraction, right? The Armstrongs, you know, Dusty did it with Dustin. But it was, it was always like a, a one-off or Devon Erics, you know. It was never really a full-time thing. And it was quite a big age gap as well. And it was and, – and norm, normally it's a case of, like, the, the, the father's, can I say, come back for a one-off. He's been – you know, he's been retired for a while. But whereas you guys, uh, it's unique because you, you, you're both still – in the prime essentially well he's not he hasn't even potentially close to his prime and i feel like i'm close to getting to my prime um i i'll be 40 next month so i'll be 40 years old next month i've been wrestling 22 years i started in 1999 and i it's it's i still feel great i'm a little banged up but i still have so much gas in the tank and i feel like i'm just getting better and better and I feel like I haven't hit my peak physical conditioning yet. I'm still trying to push myself uh, to get bigger and get stronger. And, you know, I, it's a roller coaster because you can't stay in peak, peak physical condition at all times. 
Uh, so I, I'm, I'm t- I find that balance. And like right now, you know, I'm just kind of coming off the road and being gone for a long time and working my ass off. And I have a little free time on my hands in between work. So like I'm still bouncing from job to job here and there in shows, but I'm not, you know, I'm not on a six to seven day a week job where I'm just working, 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 right. And wrestling in between. So I'm, uh, I'm really trying to focus on getting my physical condition, the best of my ability till I can right now until we go back into filming again. So around wrestling and my son's doing the same thing, you know, and he has my guidance. Like I didn't have anybody to guide me. He's got me to guide him. So how much better, you know, what, what more can you ask for? Uh, your, your son did the rounds online. Uh, the, the balcony dive in the mall springs to mind. Um, <laughs> a two pronged question. This one, Luke, um, as a wrestler, what did you think of it as a dad? What did you think of it? So I really wasn't as nervous about it because he's a professional stuntman as well. Mm. Um, he's been training in stunts and, and obviously I train him. So, and he's, he's trained with several other stuntmen and, and, you know, he's got a really good background in it. And when that happens, look, I'll, I'll, I'll just say what it is. I'll say what it is. I'll, I'll come clean with this. When, when, when we got that show, I thought, Man, how great would it be? How great would it be? Um, sorry, people are blowing me up. Um, how great would it be if if somebody jumped off this balcony? And I knew I was too heavy to do it because I'm like, I'd kill a guy at my size now. It's just too far of a drop. But I was like, back in the day, I would have did it with no problem. I still would have done it with no problem. I just, I'm too heavy to, to for There's a lot more meat on the bone now, and it would have been exactly. a, a heavier so landing. I told him. I told him, I said, I wonder if one of the other guys would be interested in jumping off. I bet you that we can make a viral clip out of this. And he goes, one, he looked at me, he's like, one of the other guys, why can't I do it? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, why can't I do it? And I was like, well, you're a shooter. Like, I didn't think you, because he never really wants to do anything high flying or anything because he's such a technical wrestler. And like his inspirations were Kurt Angle and Ben Wall and those guys. So like, you know, and you know, Ben Wall did some crazy stuff and Kurt Angle did some crazy stuff too. But I didn't really take that into consideration. Like I took in like his wrestling ability. So he's like, no, if you think I can do this and you, and you think I can do this safely, I want to do it. And he's like, he, he's told me it's no different than a high fall in a film, right? I said, no, it's not. It's pretty much the same thing except landing into pads. We're not landing into pads. We're crashing into people. And as long as we're there to catch you and, you know, you do what you need to do, it'll be fine. So uh, he's like, I want to do it. And I was like, okay, well then explain to me what you're going to do. And we went over it and, you know, he had all the right movements and everything from, so I was like, look, we're not going to rehearse it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to tell anybody about it when it's time in the match you'll know, and you just go. And we did. And, and to be honest, that should have been the finish of the match. That wasn't. We screwed up. I screwed up there. I, as the ring general, I should have made that the finish of the match, but I didn't. I make mistakes still to this day, right? We all do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just we went all the way up here to take it back down here to a finish. And I should have known better. Um, but to be honest, when it happened – I thought it was such a big thing. He wasn't the legal man in the match. And at the same time, 
Like I didn't know if after he did it, it would knock the wind out of him so much that he would have to roll out the ring and catch his air. Cause it hurts, right? There's no way around it. You're falling that high up onto other people's bodies. It's going to take a, a, you know, it's going to knock the wind out of you and everybody else involved. Yeah. And it did, it did. It knocked the wind out of him and knocked it, it knocked the other guys wind out, both of them. Uh, it didn't catch me too bad because I was on the back end of it, but it was wild, man. So I, I was so proud of him. And, and that, that clip is just still being shared today and still get, it just was, it was just on ridiculousness and TV's ridiculousness of the night. Amazing. And, and it'll do the rounds forever. It's one of those things. If it's online, it'll live forever. It'll just, and every couple of years, you'll see it come back round. You know, the only, the only bad thing about it really was we had so much publicity off of that. Like that happened in February of 2020. And I mean, ESPN aired that thing on every TV show they had. They put it on their social media. We blew up. We had so many interviews. We had so many bookings lined up just from that alone. And COVID hit like three weeks later and shut the world down. Basically. Oh, jeez. And the cool thing for us was we almost went right into heels from there, right? Because I, I was going into heels anyway. COVID put a little, little restraint on heels and we pushed it back a little bit. But uh, we still jumped right into heels from that. So that was cool. Timing of that was good. Heels is yeah, out we, in. We didn't have a lot of time off. So we didn't have a lot of time off. We were fortunate enough to be one of the first productions. I think, I actually think Heels was the first production up and running during COVID. So when does Heels land? August 15th. So you can head over to our Instagram and our Facebook, Heels Stars, H uh, E L L S S T A R Z. Heels Stars. Follow that on all social media. You can see our, um, you can see the promos for it. You can be up to date with everything they drop and everything they release on it. Find out who's all in it. Check it out. You know, hit over to social media. Look it, look it up. Twitter, Instagram, all of them. And where can people go to find out everything that you're up to, Luke, and everything with Wildcats as well? So if you want to follow me personally, uh, social media is L-U-K-E-H-A-W-X-504. I'm at Luke Hawks 504 and everything. My son is PJ underscore Hawks and our wrestling promotion. Again, please go check out our YouTube, man. We're trying to, so for a while we started doing Vimeo for years. We did Vimeo and we had a local TV deal here and we were in just under a million households here in Southeast Louisiana. So we used to sell our TV show on Vimeo, right? We would put out every time a new episode dropped, we would put the episode on Vimeo commercial free and sell that for $4.99 a month. I decided to take Vimeo off and slowly start transitioning one by one. Every week we, we add a match or two to our YouTube. Now we have a ton of matches up. So you can head over to our Wildcat Sports YouTube, W-I-L-D-K-A-T Sports, Wildcat Sports and Entertainment. Head over to our YouTube and please subscribe, check out some of our matches, be aware of some of our talent. We have some very, very, very talented guys like Wildcard, Jay Spade, Matt Lancey, Chuck Devine, um, Danny Flamingo, Buku Dow, Jace Valor, Edron Stone. There's so many talented guys in Wildcat sports that don't get the recognition they deserve because, you know, we're not on the East Coast. So, and I, I preach that for years. Like, the East Coast gets all, these love, all this love and all these wrestling promoters, you know, put over the East Coast. How about the South? You know, look at what we've done. We're going into 10 years. This year, June, one, a month a month from t- tomorrow is our 10-year anniversary as a wrestling uh, school. 
It's a wrestling training center. Uh, November makes our 10-year anniversary as live events, and we've grown so much. Like I said, again, our last show prior to COVID, we drew over 2,000 people, which was huge. And we didn't get barely any love on online for that. I, I can't believe wrestling. The only person that really reported that was Mike Johnson from PW Insider. PW Insider put that on. No wrestling news sites put on how big this wrestling promotion in the South did and what we did. All, and that's not from advertisement. That's not from, you know, buying Facebook ads and all that stuff. That was just us with the drawing power of our local stars. You know, I don't have to spend a million dollars bringing in all these ex-WWE guys and stuff. And we, we do use some of them, but I use the guys that are really interested in our product and love being a part of our product and helping it become better and helping our wrestlers become better. Not the guys who are just trying to take some big payday booking, right? Anybody you see involved in a Wildcat show is somebody who genuinely wants to be there. They hit us up and they say, hey, I really like what Wildcat Sports does and I want to be a part of this. Guys like Brian Kendrick, right? Before Brian Kendrick went back to WWE, we were like one of the only independent companies he was working for because he just was such a big fan of what we were doing. He wanted to be a part of it. Guys like Booker T, guys like Bob Holly, guys like Stevie Richards, those guys, Billy Gunn, they all wanted to be a part of what Wildcat was doing because of the way we did things. So, you know, I, I find it crazy. I have a chip on my shoulder that the internet reporters do not pick up on what we're doing and push what we're doing. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they have personal vendetta against me or because I voice my opinion on things like this. But, you know, I got no heat with them. The only heat that I get is like, hey, if you're an internet news site and you're a reporter, why aren't you covering the things that we're doing? Or is it up to me to be your best friend and write you and tell you how good of a job you do report and send you what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like I, I that's, it's, it's, it's really baffling. I think there's so much around that it's for a lot of companies. I mean, like with ourselves, I know like we're, we're a relatively skeleton crew. So it's just trying to make sure that you're touching into enough things and keep it across as many things as possible. And, uh, you know, and yeah, and you're right. We, we should look at Wildcats more because there there's good stuff coming out of there. And I'll make it my mission, Luke, that we will from now on. I'll make that a thing. Hey, I appreciate it, brother. And anything we can do to help you guys, we would love to. And if you want to talk to any more guys from my crew, or if you're just interested in watching stuff, if you need me to send you anything, let me know. And, then, you know, because, again, we're all in this together. And I have so many hardworking guys. I promise you, I can take Jay Spade. I can take Matt Lancey. And I can put those guys in the ring with the top ring of honor star, the top impact star, and the top AEW star. And those guys will go toe-to-toe with those guys, no doubt. But but they're not getting the love for it because I don't know. You know, they're, they're getting out. They're getting on other shows. They're getting, you know, just these guys just need that attention. So it's, it's going to take the right guy just to say, hey, check this guy out because they are talented. And, and to be honest, the guy who's been doing it the most is P.J. Hawks. And I understand he's my kid. But he's been making the most noise, you know, with the mall dive, with his fuse, with the things he's doing, with his film career, because he's got a film career, too. You know, he's been taking off in films. He's been in so many movies and television shows. He's really been. And it's not because he's my kid. It's because of how hard he works. People are seeing it. I mean, being my kid helps no lie, but he's earning. It's not me going, hey, hire my kid, hire my kid, hire my kid. It's people going, hey, man, I seen your kid. And wow, I'm really impressed. And that makes me feel good as a father. Yeah, especially when he's not only is he doing the business that you love, but he's, he's doing it on his own two feet as well. Like yeah. it's, you say that and you burst with pride when you say it, you can just tell.
yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic Wrestling News.